You're listening to episode 15 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and today, things get a little hairy. As in, Bader, of course. Hey, Cardinals fans, this is Alex Chrisafuli uh, with Birds on the Black, uh, and this is episode 15 of the podcast Chirps. Usually, Tara Wellman is the one doing this introduction, but Tara, as she so often does, is traveling uh, out west, and she was unavailable tonight. Uh, but filling in for her, we have uh, another writer from Birds on the Black, uh, Ben Cerruti, uh, joining us today. Uh, so this is kind of like a all Italian version of, of chirps, I guess. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about I don't know Daniel Descalzo and uh, Joe Garagiola. Uh, I don't know who, who else can we talk about, Ben? Yogi Bear is from the Hill. Yeah, Yogi Bear. Yeah, he. I guess he never. He is from St. Louis. Never played for the Cardinals, but yeah. So. Uh, that's not what we're going to be talking about because I don't think anyone wants to hear about Daniel Descalzo, uh, especially since he's now on the Cubs. Um, yeah, yeah and, and I apologize for my voice. I'm still kind of getting over uh, a sickness. But uh, I'm glad Ben's joining us because basically for the last two weeks or so, is that right? The last two weeks you've been putting your projections up on the site Birds on the Black? Yeah, almost that long now, yeah. Okay, and if if you don't mind telling, you know, giving away the secret sauce, I guess, can you, you know, I'm always kind of uh, intimidated by uh, projections because I know they're always made by people smarter than me, um, you know, and so I, you know, I, I never know quite what to make of them. Um, but, you know, I love reading them. I love reading Steamer. I love it when Pakoda comes out every year, fan graphs, all that. Can you kind of give the people who are listening kind of a too long, didn't read version of how you do your projections? Yeah, definitely. So uh, for about a decade now, maybe a little more, I've kind of just been fooling around on what started out as Microsoft Excel and now has moved to Google Docs so I can save it more easily, you know, or Google Sheets, sorry, so I can save it more easily is basically I input all of the career statistics, uh, both majors and minors for all the individual Cardinals players. Uh, and I input the last three years separately um, to kind of get um, kind of get the most recent data in there. And I've kind of just tinkered with the formula every year a little bit to see uh, to see what my system spits out in terms of uh, projection for this upcoming season. I think the biggest pluses are I wait the most recent seasons most heavily, but I still take into account everything they do in their career up to that point, whether that's majors or minors. So it kind of hedges its bets a little bit, kind of regresses towards the mean, like most projection systems do. But there's definitely pieces that I still need to work on. And and there's points where, as you read through my projections at Birds on the Black, that I'll tell you flat out, this is where this projection is probably going to be screwing up. You'll notice that on Jordan Hicks's or Genesis, Genesis Cabrera's, uh, potentially Tyler O'Neill's or Giovanni Gallegos's, which just got put out uh, a couple days ago. So that's basically the the short version of it. All right, so so that's really cool stuff. And one of the things um, I always notice when whether it's when Pakoda comes out or whatnot is 
some people are so dismissive of it because they're like, well, how, how would anyone know exactly what's going to happen? Um, and that's not the point, right? Like it's, it's not, of course the season's not going to play out exactly as zip spits it out or, or Pakoda, you know, or, you know, otherwise why would be playing? But the point is to try to, one, I, I think just it's, it's interesting to see how this stuff works, but also just kind of, you know, it's a better, you know, believe it or not, better than the eye test of trying to figure out, what a player like Harrison Bader is going to do in 2019 are these projections and in kind of the history or recent history on this stuff has kind of proven that right right and I mean yeah and I originally I basically did it so uh so I moved away from St. Louis in 2004 and I um, all right and I where are you living at? Where are you living so at? now I'm in Kansas City so I'm on the okay. other side of the state so not too far from yeah. home but which uh, which is has the better barbecue? I know that's like a f- I I think all barbecue tastes good, but I know that's like a, a feud. Uh, well, correct? I'm gonna have to side with Kansas City on that one. Um, okay, all right. Now there are some St. Louis barbecue places that that could stack up quite well here. You know, Pappy's Pappy's ribs might be better than anything I've had here, but I, I do need to hit a few more places in St. Louis that I've heard stack up I- well. I know, like people say, it's stupid to argue about pizza because all pizza is good, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I pretty much agree with that. But even more so to me, that applies to barbecue. Like I've never had bad barbecue. At least you know, at a real restaurant, sit down restaurant, like all barbecue. Have, have you had bandanas? I, I have not. Hey, go, go ahead and just keep it that way. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But but if you put like Texas style barbecue in front of me, St. Louis, Memphis, Kansas City, I would have no idea what's the difference between the four. I would just know they all taste pretty good. Anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about this. Go back. Go back. Let's go back to Harrison Bader. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I moved yeah. here in '04, and I think where I was going with this was that uh, I just kind of wanted a way to keep up with the team a little bit more than, you know, than just calling my dad every night or my brother every night back home and talking baseball. And so I found a couple internet communities that back then were in existence. And a couple of those were a little more stat driven. And that's kind of where I got my love of the stats and, and, and where I dove deep into those. And so it was my way every year of trying to figure out how good the Cardinals might actually be the next year and kind of keep my mind there in the off season. So one player I wanted to talk about is Harrison Bader. I, I kind of brought him up earlier. And before we just kind of riff on him for a little bit, have you done projections on him yet? And if so, what should we expect from him based on your system this season? All right. So yeah, Harrison Bader is one of the guys I already have up. I did he and Jordan Hicks on the same day. Bader, I have almost doing exactly what he did last year. So I've got him projected. Oh, really? Okay, good. Yeah, I've got him projected at 525 plate appearances, hitting 260, uh, getting on base 328, slugging 421. Uh, so about a 750 OPS, okay. about. Have him scoring over 70 okay. runs, 20 doubles, three triples, 17 homers, and 54 RBI, stealing 16 bases. I have a strikeout rate getting down to 27% and his walk rate up around 7%. Okay, so what was his walk rate last year? I want to say it was like around 4% or am I, am I not remembering Don't have correctly. that in front of me. Um, okay, it, but it obviously wasn't where we would like 
right. we would like it to be for a player like Harrison Bader. Plus, like a guy with speed like that and how valuable he can be once he gets right. on base. Uh, um, oh, actually, I do have it in front of me. It was seven point three percent is where it, it ended. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm. <laughs> I so was I have it finishing about the exact what? same. I have his strikeout rate okay. dropping two percent though. Okay. One thing I really enjoyed about Harrison Bader last year, um, it's that he was really exciting. But what you were, what we were watching was real. Um, and, and what I mean by that is this: uh, take a player like, I, I guess Omar Vizquel would be a, uh, a pretty good example. And you know, Vizquel was a great player. Um, you know, there's been raging debates of whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. Um, I would probably vote no, but he's certainly worthy of having that conversation, um, especially for how decent he was for how long. But but a lot of people, even to this day, to this day believe he was, um, if not the best defensive shortstop, um, one of the best. Um, I shouldn't say a lot of people believe that, but certainly some people do, that he was the best defensive oh, shortstop. Oh, yeah. And I, I heard growing up a lot, even in St. Louis, you know, he was he was the AL version of Ozzy, you know? Yeah, and the reason why people believe that is because you never saw him make a mistake. Uh, you know, he got he got to everything. He, or it seemed like if a ball was hit in his vicinity, he would make the play and throw the guy out at first. Uh, but what we kind of learned with advanced stats is it appeared that way because he wasn't able to get to balls that other shortstops were able to get to. There were errors that were you know, but balls that were hit through the middle that may, perhaps other shortstops would have had a better play on that, you know, basically Viscal never even had the right. opportunity to make an error on. Um, and, you know, and that's kind of like what the advanced stats taught us. So even though he was very aesthetically pleasing to watch, um, there was kind of more than meets the eye there. Bader's not like that. You know, he was so exciting and great to watch in terms of like, you, you didn't have to be staring at the stat cast you know, leaderboards or whatever to tell you that this guy's really fast or that I think this guy's a really good center fielder. Um, But if you were to do that, the stats would would bear that out. I believe he, I think he was ninth in sprint speed last year. Um, I I believe he had like, at one point he was tied with like Billy Hamilton for the most five, four and five star catches according to StatCast. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't even quite know what that means (laughs) other than it's really good catches, I assume. Um, so that's always what I really liked about Harrison Bader last year is that he was so damn exciting to watch. And what we were seeing wasn't like any sort of mirage. Like it, this was a real talent. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And just to go to the stats, since that's what I like to do, I, I looked this up a few minutes ago, actually, before we got on here, but um, he was actually tied with Lorenzo Kane for the, in StatCast catch percentage added atop the league. And what that is basically is they figured out that based on how long the ball was in the air and how hard it was hit and how far away from him it was, mm-hmm. he should have caught 85% of the balls that were hit his direction last year, or the average fielder would, you know? Right. And he caught 92% of them. Okay. And so he tied, tied Kane for the league lead and in, in the percent above where he should have been. Yeah, and, and just like how rare it is, at least in my opinion, to have a player like that where most of his excitement and most of his value comes not from when he has not from when he's batting, but from when he's like fielding and running. Yeah. And that's not to say, you know, even as a hitter, he he proved to be much better, I think uh, at least on a lot a lot of people thought he would be. Um the one weakness, you know, obviously was against 
uh, he, he just doesn't hit righties very well, which is a problem because obviously most pitchers in baseball, I believe what around 75% are righties. Yeah. So, about three fourths. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's something that, you know, would certainly be nice to be improved upon. I think he had like a 90 WRC plus, um, I'm looking at splits right now, 90 WRC plus against righties, um, 138, you know, when he had the platoon advantage. So, you okay. know, I was thinking it was actually lower than that. Yeah. But. Yeah. So it's not bad. Um, Certainly something we can live with for, for how valuable he is in the field. Oh, yeah. What, um, what are the reasons? I guess I just mentioned one, but is there any reason why we should be, I don't know, pessimistic about him going forward, but like maybe pumping the brakes on, you know, because he, he was absolutely in that conversation for Rookie of the Year last year with Acuna and, and Soto. Um, give me a good reason why we should be maybe pumping the brakes. So I think statistically a reason is that his average average exit velocity was only 86 miles an hour for basically the second year in a row at the major league level. Now, okay. put together, they're just barely over 500 plate appearances, so it's not a big sample. But that's not great. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say that's about what Dexter Fowler had last year. Yeah, you don't want to have anything mirror uh, Dexter Fowler's 2018 right, season right. at the plate. So, okay. Um. I mean, that said, though, I mean, even with that, he barreled almost 7% of balls when 6.1 is league average. Do we care that his BABIP was so – he had a 358 average on balls in play. Um, do we care about that given how fast he is? Because um, that still seems awfully high, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that seems high. Uh, in, the, in the minors, he had – Let's see, 409 in 30 plate appearances, 344 in over 200 plate appearances, 349 in over 350 plate appearances. I mean, he, he, he never quite got to like that 358 mark in the minors, except for one short seven game stint in 2015 in low A. But I mean, he was consistently in the 340s down there. Granted, fielding is not the same, but with how fast he is, I could see a 330 or 340 Babbitt kind of being his norm until that speed drops off. Yeah, and I think that's what, like, I don't know. You know, I was trying to think of another player, and Colton Wong kind of comes to mind in terms of, you know, Colton Wong can survive being a below-average hitter because he does provide that that defense. Now, it's ideal if he could, you know, if he could have a WRC plus, um, you know, right around 100, you know, be an average hitter or even better because he's shown flashes that, that he could do that. Uh, so I, I'm curious what you think, what do you think is the lowest we could accept from Harrison Bader as a hitter? Let's just say he regresses uh, a lot. What's the lowest profile we could have of him, assuming his defense is as good as it was last year on par, you know, completely on par with 2018. And that, that okay, wasn't, so if he's completely you know. on par with 2018, we're looking at close to, and he plays a full season. We're looking at outs above average on StatCast. It would have him probably close to 30 outs above average, which is, I don't know what that translates to in terms of D war, but defensive run saved would have him at close to 15 or 20. So that's a huge – Okay. Oh, no, he had 19 last year. Shoot, so 25, 30 again. So we're looking at probably, what, two and a half wins just defensively. I think you can take a lot of lot of poor at-bats and still get playing time. That's – wouldn't you – I mean, wouldn't you think that's 
that's like I mean, a, yeah, Molina tr- level of defense. Sure. Yeah. I, I think, you know, with catcher, certainly we, we tolerate um, a, a different batting profile than perhaps he might from, from an outfielder, but yeah, I, I'm trying to think uh, a player like Bader, you know, assuming, you know, say around 550 plate appearances, you can get close to 600 and he's well, playing just amazing defense. Pete, um, Pete Cosmo, you know, I, he probably wasn't quite this level of defense, okay. right? And in 2013, the Cardinals gave him 143 games of under 50 WRC+. Okay. I, I would not that, – that is too low for me. I was going to say something more like right, right. if he and starts I, sinking below 85 right. WRC+, I, plus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's a problem. And especially – no, I was saying. I think a lot of this also hinges on like who he's being flanked by in the corner outfield. I mean, we know who those people are, but we don't know what type of season they're going to have. Certainly, you know, Tara and I have talked about Azuna, and uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I think a lot of people saw that. Um, I think a maybe a little too big a deal was made about it yeah. today, but there was a video of Azuna working out with that. Jose Okendo, and people worried about the way he was throwing. Um, but it's certainly reasonable to have very tempered expectations of him given one, the injury and two, how he was last year. Um, and then say, you know, we have no idea what's going to be going on in right field, whether it's Tyler O'Neill, right. Jose Martinez. Yeah, I think that Fowler, the Cardinals uh, have, if you, and I mean, and they, they've got Lane Thomas and Rosa Reina and Jag down in the minors that are just knocking on the door as well. That I think they have enough players that if you see a Pete Cosma 2013 hitting out of Bader, there's, a 0% chance he makes it through the year just because of the depth there. Right. I think my, my, more of my point was if, if Ozuna is, is hitting just fine and left and Fowler or Jose Martinez or, you know, some combo of the two is doing fine in right field, then you can get away with a lot less. Yeah. It's going to be a lot easier to watch Harrison Bader's uh, hitting I, struggle. Yeah. Um, but I think versus, even if, even if Marcelo Zuna is 2017 Ozuna again, and right, we're not going to tolerate a 50 W. Yeah, no, I right. agree with that. I certainly agree with that. Right, you could have Ozuna and Fowler's best years combined, and we're still we're still starting O'Neill or Thomas or somebody in center because we have but the options. Is there any universe where where you think he could be that bad though? Because I, I I don't see. I that. mean, I, I I'm expecting him to regress at the plate, but I'm not expecting. It, it to be that bad. I mean, so, I just can't. Yeah. I, I know we don't have a huge snapshot of him, but I, I felt like it was enough to be like, okay, he can, he can certainly be competent at this level. Yeah. So here, I mean, here's my thing. Statistically, I don't see anything that's going to cause a drop off to that extreme. I test. I didn't see anything that would cause me to think anything that extreme either. The only thing I can come up with is people way smarter than me with scouting nobody ever scouted him to even what he was last year, you know? Right. Um, I mean, I've never in any of my searchings found a 70 plus grade speed or defense on him. And he was easily that last year. Right. No. And that's, um, I'm trying to find, I, I remember I was reading an old baseball prospectus annual and they basically said, I think it was from 2017. And they basically called him average at best in center field and questioned his raw speed. Um, and then, and also said his bat basically had a hole in it. Um, the, the latter thing, like, okay, you know, that's, that's certainly um, plausible, a fair thing to say, especially back, back in 2017. Yeah. Plausible is a better word, 
but to sit, but to call him average at best in center field, the question is raw speed. Yeah. Like that seems just like a total miss. Um, yeah. And I, and I think someone at Viva Alberto was actually last year wrote an article about how somehow everyone seemed to miss on this guy. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know what it was. If, if, I mean, maybe, you know, he's just getting more out of, you know, he's got that drive that he just wants to get as much out of his body as he can or what it is. But I want to say like the best scouting report I ever saw on him was like, if everything pans out, he's a 55 tool across the board. Okay. You know, and it's like, yeah. I mean, so the guy is a, a half, you know, slightly better than league average at everything. And that's if everything comes together at the exact same time. And well, let me ask you this because Joe Sheehan uh, said in a newsletter, I, I want to say like a month ago, where he basically said, We may have just seen the best of Harrison Bader. Um, and he, he didn't mean that as an insult. He, he, he still said, You know, I think Harrison Bader's a, a you know, a, a very good player um, and going to play at this level. But, you know, he kind of cited some of the things we've talked yeah. about. If everything does come together, is that the best um, we will see of Harrison Bader? Or do you think there's more potential for him to even be better than what we saw in 2018? I'm, I'm talking basically strictly hitting because, you know, it's hard to imagine Being him better even, <laughs> yeah, taking it up a much higher level in, in defense or speed or whatnot. Like, I don't think he's all of a sudden going to be like a lot faster <laughs> than he was last year. Uh, he's going to be running like 30 mile, 30, 30 feet per second <laughs> right, wind yeah. sprints or something. Okay, so I do like this stat, and I put this in my projection. Uh, in 2016 at AAA, he got moved up at the end of the year and had 161 plate appearances. And then 2017 at AAA, he had 479 plate appearances. And his batting average okay. jumped 52 points year to year. His on-base percentage jumped 49 points year to year, and his slugging jumped 105 points year to year. Okay. And then he made his debut in the majors with 92 plate appearances in 2017, and then 427 in 2018. And his batting average jumped 29 points. His on-base percentage jumped 51 points, and his slugging percentage jumped 46 points. And those are the only two places in professional ball at which he's been at a level more than one season with separate data points. And he's shown great improvements both times. Okay. Um, his walk rate at the AAA level jumped by just 0.3%, but it went up. His walk rate at the major league level, jump, level jumped 1.9%. Now his strikeups, strikeouts did go up both times as well, but if his walk rate's going up and his OPS is going up, I don't mind the strike rate creeping up either. But, I mean, when you show marked improvement like that, I, mean, there, I, I guess there's a chance that it could go up higher, especially mm -hmm. with his speed with the batting average and the on-base percentage. I don't know that we're ever going to see 25, 30, 35 homers out of him. I think that's more O'Neill's gig, but, but maybe those doubles and triples go up. Given that and given what we might be expecting from him this year, where do you think he should be in the lineup? Because I, I was listening to Seeing Red today, and I, I've they kind of just briefly uh, I, I kind of swatted the idea away, but talked about how, how great it would be um, if we could bat him in the ninth spot. Oh, you know, I, I think we had illusions of doing that with Colton Wong a few years ago, just because you know he didn't quite have the uh, profile of a leadoff guy, in spite of kind of what he I, I think said on his actually himself said he wanted to be. Um, 
But you, could you see Bader as that guy that you would want, you know, since Matt Carpenter is probably going to be leading off? I that, would you love know, it. Especially, I would too. Especially if we had Goldie batting second, if that's what mm-hmm. Schilt decides to do. Um, yeah. I would love to see that. Now, yeah, I did just kind of with each of my projections, I'm, I'm trying to pick. I, I, I have him batting eighth um, behind Wong just because that's platoon advantage more often. Um, and uh-huh. I would I would flip flop them versus lefties, but I would love for it to be you know Molina batting seventh, Wong batting sixth against righties, Bader batting sixth against lefties, and then the other batting ninth against the opposite hand or the the same handed um, pitcher. I think that would be a fantastic usage of the lineup. Do you think one of the reasons why it's so hard to not so hard that's not the right way to phrase it, but the reason why we so seldom see a player like Bader or basically anyone but for the pitcher in the ninth spot is because it's so hard to go to a player like Colton Wong or go to a player like Harrison Bader and try to rationalize them why they are batting where the pitcher, you know, the, the spot usually reserved for people who can barely swing the bat um, and try to rationalize with them that that's where they're going to be hitting. Do you yeah, think I that think so. Is, is a hindrance just like the pride thing? I think so. And I think it's the same with like, um, with Carpenter leading off, you know, something like that. He sees himself as a leadoff hitter or with sabermetricians, you know, think that second hitter in the order should be your best hitter. And conventional baseball wisdom is bat your best hitter third. And I think there's probably players around the league that still hit third that if their manager could talk it up enough they should probably hit second you know and i think that especially in sports just tradition runs hard yeah i guess it's pretty similar like why certain guys have to pitch the ninth or you know versus hopefully we're not going to see as much this year with i'm hoping we have more of a roving uh you know closing situation but i I think we'll see on that Um, so i'm a big mizzou tigers football fan as well and living here in missouri and both sides of the state and all that and and it's just like, uh, like with uh, Drew Locke is coming out in draft and he's, you know, kind of like long hair. He's not like like surfer boy or hippie hair or anything, but long haired quarterback that that throws the ball around the field. And uh, I heard something about on his on, at the senior bowl, him getting told that uh, he's going to have to do something about his hair when he gets to the NFL because he just doesn't look like a quarterback. Meaning, uh, the other players will take it out on him, or like at the combine, the the scouts will just be like, "Oh, well, this guy can't be." Or did it a little? Did they mean a little no, bit? I of think both? it's just more tradition. Those like Joe Montana, yeah. you know, whoever quarterbacks, they're just like the the more clean shaven and and uh, short haired Aaron Rodgers, you know, just short hair and and clean cut. Yeah, and I don't know. It's it's just well, a a thing, I guess. Well, that reminds me of something. Uh, do you remember McGuire's brother, Dan, played football? He was a quarterback. I did not remember. He played quarterback at – yeah, so he was a quarterback at San Diego State. And then he went in – I want to say he QB'd uh, – he had like a cup of coffee in the NFL. A couple of seasons, actually. Um, I don't think he was ever like a full-time starter, but I believe he – I want to say with the Seahawks or anything. But I think he had kind of had long hair. You know, he was like a McGuire, so he had like, you know, nice blonde – you know, strawberry blonde hair. Um so, so that's a good connection to you know bring it back. That I, I just thought of a uh, Cardinals legend's brother who kind of had long hair, although he ne- he didn't you know last very long. So maybe maybe that was the the, the reason. Um, 
Although I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I'm excited for Bader is that I just like having a player like that who can potentially entertain you on any given night. Like I think back to, do you remember that game? I actually looked it up right before we got on, but it was August 18th last year against Milwaukee at home where he hit like a bases clearing triple. Uh, I want to say there oh, was this on. the slide with the third one triple. Yeah. And w- what I remember most about that, most people remember the slide. What I remember is when they relayed the ball back into the infield, I was expecting to see him standing on second because it, it wasn't the type of hit that normally goes for a trip, even though like it went in the gap, but it still wasn't the type of hit that normally goes for a triple. But when they threw the ball in the infield, he was like nowhere to be found. So like for a split second, I thought like, wait, is he still on first? Like some, idiot, right. you know, like what Did happened he- here? Um, and then I was like, oh, my gosh, like he's already <laughs> at third base. Because when they threw the ball in, they did a pretty wide shot of the infield. And so I, it's not like I saw like the back of his legs running the third or anything oh, okay. like that. Um, and I remember thinking like that's the fastest I've seen anyone <laughs> get from home plate to third uh, probably ever. Um, and I, I'm sure, you know, I have no idea what StatCast or whatever said about it. It, it could have just been like me getting excited for the moment and it wasn't that special. Um but, but later that game, he had what was basically a summer hit, what looked like it was going to be a bloop single, um, and he you know just laid out for it and made a spectacular catch. I think it was rated as one of his best catches uh, for the season. Um, and that's what I love about a player like Bader is... Uh, I, think, I uh, think I actually used that catch for either a GIF or cover art in my Outs Above Air, my StatCast Outs Above okay. Average article. So you know, so you know what catch I'm talking about, yeah. And I just love that he's the type of player that I, I just want to watch him when he's on oh, screen because yeah. you never know when he's going to do something that that's going to just blow you away. You know, like Cardinals have a lot of good players from you know, you know. Look, Jed Jerko is a very very good player, but he's not the type of player who's going to just do something that's going to make you say, "I've never seen that happen right. before." And, and Harrison Bader has the potential to to do things like that. It doesn't necessarily mean he's the, you know, doesn't necessarily make him the greatest player in baseball or anything like that. But just that excitement factor is something that's just nice to have when you're trying to watch 162 of these games over the course of a season. All right. So two things. One is that story about Bader, just that, that that's the second time just in our 33 minutes of conversation here that I have, that I've realized like, okay, yeah, this is why the Cardinals want to make him the face of the franchise, even though, and I don't want to go down the Harper or Machado or whatever rabbit hole here because you and Tara have covered that adequately in the offseason. But, but man, with him coming out in the powder blues and all that, I can see why they're doing that now, just getting goosebumps, just talking about these mid-August games even, you know? So the second thing with his speed, going back to our should we bat him ninth conversation? Right. I looked up stats for projections um, just to I'm, – I'm trying to compare players to like the typical seven hitter or eight hitter or nine hitter in the league or whatever. One thing that I unearthed that I I found absolutely fascinating when I was looking at it, like I – I sent the link to my dad and then called him 20 minutes later and said, did you see what I saw in the statistics here? Because this is incredible to me. So in the American League over the last five years, so this is all position players hitting, ninth ninth hitters have an under 640 OPS. 
I don't have seventh and eighth place hitters broken down by NLAL, but league wide, eight hitters are about 44 points of OPS better, and seven hitters are about 70. Wait, bet. What? Are we talking better in the American League? Uh, better than American League nine hitters. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, eighth place hitters are about 45 points better, and uh, seventh place hitters are about 70 points better. But okay. ninth place hitters in the American League score more runs per 600 plate appearances than either the seventh or eighth hitters do. No, and it's just because who they have coming up behind them, right? I that's what I would yeah. imagine, and I think that's another statistical data point in favor of batting either Bader or Wong ninth. Interesting. I I, I don't even want to know what the uh, difference is between. Uh, Eight and nine hitters from the National League <laughs> since we since, we're, <laughs> since we have the pitchers hitting, which I don't want to get in that controversy because uh, um, people. By the way, very... it's almost it's almost two hundred points of OPS. Okay, well there and you that, go, and that includes pinch hitters about what forty or fifty percent of the time. Right. Okay, uh, that's probably a good spot to stop talking uh, about Harrison Bader and. Uh, get to the end of this episode with the chirp of the week. Um, I'm going to go ahead and talk about something that I thought of earlier this week when the Pakoda projections came out and uh, the Cardinals, for whatever reason, um, Rob Maines at baseball perspectives writes about this, but the Cardinals do very well, better than anyone, at least in recent memory of beating their Pakoda projections. They've done it every year starting in 2013. So that would be, uh, what's that? Six seasons in a row now. Um, in 2015, they beat their Pakoda projection by 12 games. They were picked to win 88 by Pakoda, and they won 100 games. Um, as a lot of you know, most of that has to do with starting pitching. And you brought up Mizzou earlier. Well, I'm going to bring up um, the uh, Illini because I'm an Illini fan, and I feel like if you're going to bring up Mizzou, then I can talk about Illinois. Um, <laughs> And the 2005 Illinois basketball team uh, is kind of like a legendary team for Illini fans. Um, but if you were to ask most people, like, who led that team in scoring, I'm talking about the basketball team, um, most people would probably say, like, maybe Dee Brown or, or Darren Williams first. But the answer is actually Luther Head. And the reason why I bring that up is because if you were to look at who on the 2015 Cardinals in the starting rotation, who led that team in ERA, it's actually Jaime Garcia. And that doesn't necessarily shock me, but I don't think he would have been the first person I would have guessed. Although, um, you know, the fact that Adam Wainwright went down with injury in April, that kind of, you know, eliminates him from the conversation. Right. But no, I don't think I would. Yeah. No, you still have, I don't, you still had John Lackey having a good Exactly. Year. Yeah. And, what, and I Waka, think. Lynn, and Martinez? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so he's, I, I really don't think he would have been the first person I, I would have thought of. Um I started looking at the the top the the five starting pitchers that season the the five starters who threw the most innings, and I looked at the the gap between the best ERA that would be Jaime Garcia and the worst, and that was Michael Waka. Waka had a three point three eight ERA, so the difference between the two two point four three to three point three eight was zero point nine five earned runs, so less than a run. And I started looking at all Cardinals teams. Um, doing this manually on baseball reference to see if there's another team where one of the top five starters by innings pitched from the best ERA to the worst had a smaller discrepancy between that. And I'll tell you what, I couldn't find one. I went all the way back to 1996 and nothing really came all that close. Cardinals teams or league wide? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just Cardinals teams. Um, 
I'm not, you know, I love playing around on the play index, but I'm not that awesome with it to even to do that sort of search if it's even possible. Um, no, so no, I'm sorry, all, all Cardinals teams. So I went back to all the way back to 1996, so to at least to cover the entirety of the La Russa era. Nothing really came close, uh, but for 2012, um, Kyle Loesch had a 2.86 ERA and Jake Westbrook had the worst ERA at 3.97. Um, so then I backed all the way up to 1968. And then, of course, not 1968 because Bob Gibson had a 1.12 <laughs> ERA. And, well, you know, no one. Everybody else, he, as, wasn't it? 2. Yeah, 2. I mean, 0. exactly. As good as run suppression was back then, no, still no one's that close to 1.12. Um, but I looked at 1967, um, and that was pretty close. Uh, Nelson Bryles had a 2.43 ERA for the Cardinals. Um, that was the that led the team. Um, the worst of the of the five pitchers who threw the most innings was Ray Washburn with a 3.53 ERA. So a difference of 1.10 earned runs. And that's a, that was a very very good pitching team. That was obviously the 67 team that won the World Series. Their starters had a 3.03 ERA. That's a 67 team. And the 2015 team was actually better than that. Um, they had a 2.99 ERA for the starters. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you can imagine, the run environment was different back then. The 1967, the NL the average for starters, ERA average was 3.32. In 2015, it was 4.05. So that's just how incredible that 2015 team was just how much of an outlier the yeah. starting pitchers was and you can see how because you look at those five guys martinez lynn lackey waka garcia you know all good pitchers but no one would have expected that so you can see why pakoda would have really missed on that um, and that is your trip of the week for episode 15 ben do you have anything you want to add to that i like it i was i was just trying to look up real quick what the cardinals starters like FIP minus or ERA plus or, you know, something to compare to league-wide that year was. It was, uh, I mean, that's just crazy numbers, but I can't find it quick enough to matter. Um, Back in the 2015 season, in July, I wrote an article on my old, you know, Flyover Country Baseball site uh, just about the starting pitching. So I combined, I averaged the five main starters, ERA, FIP, XFIP, and Sierra, which... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, FIP, XFIP, and Sierra are basically earned run estimators based on different things. Uh, and I compared them to all, all the starters in Major League Baseball, so about 150 pitchers. All five of the Cardinals pitchers were in the top 47. Okay. And three of them at that point of the season were in the top 20. Okay. Jaime Garcia at the time would have been the number one pitcher on 26 teams in baseball. Carlos Martinez would have been the number one on 19 teams. Lance Lynn would have been the number one on 18 teams. And Waka and Lackey both would have been number one pitcher on seven of the teams in baseball or the number two pitcher on 22 teams for Waka and 19 teams for Lackey. That's good stuff. And the funny thing about Jaime Garcia leading that team in ERA, or at least leading the starters, is that if you recall, he wasn't even supposed to be in the rotation um, because he was supposed to have that kind of competition with Carlos Martinez in spring training. But then Garcia got hurt, so he was kind of the odd man out. Um, but once Wainwright got hurt in late April, then the door opened for him again. And, you know, he. He took advantage. Um, so yeah, he took it and ran with it. Yeah, and, and that's also this is also the recently retired Jaime Garcia. So um, as Kyle would say, I raised my cup to him. He was a, he had a good career. Uh, we were lucky to have him. So we were good. Yeah, good job, Jaime Garcia. 
I think that's going to do it for episode 15. Ben, thank you so much for coming on uh, and uh, filling in for Tara. Uh, You know, hopefully she's back from her travels next week. Uh, Not not that we didn't love having you on, but, you know, it would be nice having Tara here as well. Um, Yeah, you guys haven't two weeks in a row with a pinch. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. So, yeah, Uh, I'm sure it'll be nice to get back to normal. Tell, uh, where can people find you on Twitter and stuff like that? So, um, S-T-L-F-A-N-B-C-7 on Twitter. Uh, and I'm also on just Ben Cerruti on Facebook if you, uh, want to find me there. Cool. I'm Alex Crisofoli. You can find me at AlexCard79 on Twitter. And that'll do it for episode 15 of Chirps. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>